Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. It's a pleasure, pleasure to be kicking off the year, to be kicking off the preach for this year. And it's exciting to have this Work It series busy happening last week, this week. Uh, and I think next week, if I'm not mistaken, the end of it. Um, great way to kick off the year and to end it off from last year. So for those of you who weren't here last week for the kicking off of this, I really recommend you go to the website, you listen to the podcast. It was Wayne preaching up a storm about the difference between work and a job and, and really understanding the differences and how God's called you to work. Um, so I really recommend you look at it, you listen to it, the best part is he sings not once, but he sings twice on it, and it's there forevermore on the website, really worth listening to. He's got a gift of singing as well as of preaching, so go and check it out. And this morning, uh, I preached this morning, yeah, and, and much of the same thing coming through tonight for you, but at Milnerton, Brett preached particularly on work as a mission field, using the story of the Good Samaritan and his own experiences of that. So whatever you've missed out on, it's a short series but I think for many people, yeah, we may be at different spaces. I think looking around the room, a lot of people are studying toward work, you know, and a lot of people are actually finishing off and retiring, and there's some in between. But wherever you're at, there's something of the importance of what God calls us to in the time that we spend most of our lives. So it's a really good way to kick off the year as we set our goals and, and hope to start afresh in many things. So that's what I'm going to be preaching on tonight, part of the Work It series. And the big question I'm going to be trying to help us together answer somehow in the next 30 minutes or so is kind of a tough question. It's these three words, who am I? Okay, relatively easy. I think we should wrap it up in about 10 minutes and we'll go home. No, it, 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 <laughs> it is a tough one. So who am I is probably the most perplexing and I first, when I heard the word, I was like, what the hell? What is that? But I'll tell you in a second. Is the most perplexing, profound, and difficult question that we can pose to ourselves. Those words, who am I? And perplexing, why do I say that? Well, perplexing is an awesome word. It kind of means a mixture between baffled and confused. <laughs> and that's kind of where that question sometimes leaves me. Because there's so many answers and definitions of ourselves that whatever answer we give to that, I often end up feeling a little bit dissatisfied. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not just that, am I? Is there something else that I am? And, and we ask ourselves these questions to try and find an answer that fits it perfectly. But also at the same time, the who am I question is quite profound. Because in trying to find the answer to it, if we look back, and maybe it was just me, but in almost every step of my journey growing up, and it's going to be a continuing journey for me, I'm continually asking this question. I'm continually trying to figure out. It's part of who we are as human beings. And the depth of an answer to this is going to be so profound when I do find it. And hopefully tonight we get a glimpse of how to find that answer and what it means for work. And lastly, it's, it's a difficult question because it could have so many different answers. And sometimes those answers make me feel a little bit uneasy and a little bit anxious. Specifically, if I ask myself the question, who am I, and who I see myself as right now is not really who I want to be, then accepting where I am now isn't that easy to do. 
And actually, I want to be able to shift that. I want to be able to get an answer that, a little, that may be a little bit easier to swallow. So today, or this evening, the key focus is this word called identity. And us trying to understand who we are, what is our identity, what did God really design it to be like? And in some way or another, what role does our work and the things that we do play toward building this identity? So in a nutshell, identity refers to how people answer the question, who are you? It's quite simple. But I went and, I went and looked at to try and find a bit more of a comprehensive answer to or what is identity, just so that we're on the same page here. And it's actually quite difficult even to find a definition that everybody shares. So it's rather complex, not just in answering the question, but even just defining what identity is in the first place. And the best definition I could find is from one of the founders of identity in 1892, one of the founders of psychology, William James. And he said this in 1892, so place the time. In its wildest possible sense, a man's me is the sum total of all that he can call his. Not only his body and his mental powers, but his clothes and his house, his family, his ancestors and friends, his reputation and works, his lands and horses and yacht and bank account. All these things give him the same emotions. If they wax and prosper, he feels triumphant. If they dwindle and die away, he feels cast down, not necessarily in the same degree for each thing, but in much the same way for all. So according to a definition that kind of sits within psychological textbooks and academia, identity is based on stuff. <laughs> and it's based on stuff that actually when things are going well I'm on the app and when things are going not so well, actually life isn't that good anymore. So it seems like it's based on something that constantly shifts and changes. And is that it? You know? And is the who am I constantly changing? Because in this world, I don't know if that's the answer I'm looking for. That's a difficult response, but I don't think that's what I want. So from a hundred and something years ago, this was the definition, and not much has really changed. There hasn't been a simpler way to figure out the answer to this question. It's actually gotten a bit more complex because of things like social media. So unfortunately, in the last five, ten years, it's become so much more complex because the who am I is influenced by how many followers you have on a post, or how many likes you get after sharing something. And that's quite, quite scary. I remember I was chatting to my 10-year-old nephew, and he shared this amazing photo, it was beautiful, of a lightning bolt over the sea, perfect timing, taken from his grandma's flat with his cell phone. Beautiful. Hour later, it's off his Instagram. So I phoned him, like, what's going on here? Why did you take it off? That was stunning. So now I didn't get enough likes. And it's a story that's coming again and again, where actually even our, who we are and how people see us, even in the social media, plays such a big factor in determining people's identities. And it drives things that maybe a lot of us who maybe aren't in that era don't even understand fully. But it's not just social media, it's tons of social media. So you might be here as a business person in the workplace, and it's not just your social spaces, it's even your LinkedIn's, it's even your electronic professional profiles, it could be your CV, it could be a list of your achievements. A lot of things end up getting put onto a little bit of a pedestal, and you hold it there very, very dearly, because that defines a bit of who you are. 
So tonight, I'm hoping that somehow we can bust some of the myths and somehow we can put some strong foundations in place so that we can move forward in 2018 with a firm footing and, and build on who we are in God's eyes. So the key scripture to kick off, Matthew chapter 16, 13 to 20. Now Jesus himself, 2,000 years ago, this was still a question that was going around. So Jesus, he goes through to his disciples and says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea and Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he turns to Simon Peter, he says, but what about you, he asks, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. It's amazing what Jesus does here. 2,000 years ago, he takes this idea of identity. He firstly defines it. He gives us a map to say, actually, guess what? This is how you're going to go about your lives, trying to figure out who you are. Firstly, you're going to be asking the people around you. You may be saying, who do you guys think I am? I want to get that answer first. And then you're going to go to the people closest to you, know you a little bit better, who possibly care for you, love you, and you're going to ask them the same, who do you think I am? And you're going to base it on that. And that's what he did there. And he asked Simon, the person closest to him, and actually Simon gets it spot on. He actually knows who Jesus really is. And Jesus responds, not saying, well done, Simon, you got it out. Say it again. Feed it to me, Simon. You know, show me. You know? Instead, he says, no, 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 you got it spot on. It couldn't have been you. Because the truth of who you are, the truth of who I am, can only come from a Father in heaven, from nowhere else. And from this sort of basis, I want to explore this a little bit more. But let's pray briefly. So, Father God, Lord, I thank you, Father, that you've designed each and every single one of us, Father, way in advance, Lord God. Lord, you know everything about us. And Father, tonight, as we dive into a bit of scripture, and a deeper understanding of who we are, Lord God. Let us hear the voice of a Father in heaven saying who we are. Let us hear the voice through scriptures, Jesus, of who you say we are, and let us walk away with that as a starting point for this year, Father God, in our lives and in our work. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool, so this whole link to work, I mean, I think the best way sometimes to start this identity linked to work is maybe just sharing my own story. But before I go there, I have to play, and I love the fact that it's been recorded, so I have to just have a little bit of a back at VP, at Mark VP, while he's not here. I may as well try. So, so about two weeks ago, because he's camping now, so about two weeks ago, he's at my garage, loading my tent again for the sixth time this year. I'm, it's great, because the tent's being used. I haven't used it in a while. And a very, very like cheeky comment I get on WhatsApp with a photograph of my first ID book photo. And I'm thinking, ah, VP, that is going to end up everywhere. He's going to wait for that perfect moment in church and say, ah, look, here's Emmanuel's first photograph. So I'm one step ahead of him tonight. (laughs) One step ahead. At least I I can give a bit of a basis behind it so that all the assumptions are out of the way. So, I mean, for me, identity legally started at 16 when I got my ID book. And it was around about that age where I was really trying to source these affirmations and these feedbacks from different people, from the people out there, from the people close. Who am I? 
Help me to get this. And I mean, I'm sure we were all there at some point with these questions in our early teens, trying to figure this out. Thanks for taking that. But you can, you can get the download if you want. So that's me there. So what happened that morning? I was very ready for my photo, the school photo for ID Books, very ready. But my hair was round about here. And the teacher said, go cut your hair just before the photo. So I go, go to the bathroom, I'm very annoyed. And then it all bounces up. And that's me. And at the same time, as I'm busy smiling, my friend makes me laugh. And yeah, there were a lot of assumptions of all sorts of illegal substances that maybe look very drowsy, but I swear it was just a laugh. But that really started it. And in high school, guess what? You've spent so many years already that so much of who I am, specifically because of school and what you go through, is maybe based on your grade. I'm in the top class or I'm an A student, or I'm a C student, or I'm in the bottom class, or it's based on your friends, or it's based on trying to get something, and you're trying to navigate this, but it's never fulfilling enough. So like many other teens, I try to find it in getting acceptance wherever I possibly could, in the right circles, in the right friendships, or the wrong friendships, but the friendships that would be seen as the coolest. And you try and do that, and very little satisfaction comes from that in trying to find the answer to that question. So it came from people initially. It came from marks. Uh, and then it stepped in when the music scene got very big and very close to my heart. Then it stepped into early 2000s when emo was cool. Who remembers emo? Anybody? Is it just me? Yeah. So there's my emo shot there. I may as well just share all the photos in the next one. So everything's fake there. Fake earrings, fake hair. It was the time when, when people chose their strongest eye and they covered the other one with hair and every guy had a GHD in the back pocket. So, um, but this was, again, a time of a journey to try and unpack who I am. Not yet, one back. We'll get to that one. Try and unpack who I am. And it was who I am because of music. And I, I tried to assimilate everything of a culture within music to say, who are you? Well, actually, I dig this, I like this music, and you're trying to find it, and yet again, doesn't satisfy. Until you get to the point where it's like, okay, I'm a surfer. <laughs> and my assimilation is into that culture of surfing and creativity and uniqueness. And that brings on the next photo, which you already saw. So all the photos are out of the bag now. Mark has nothing on me. Uh, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that, but yes. So this was that expressive time to say, well, you know, Actually, I am my unique person, and, and God's formed me uniquely, and I'm going to figure this out. But deep down inside of my heart, I was still trying to seek who I am from other people and not from something else. And that steps into the last photo, last one you'll have to see of my mugshot, which is kind of the, the corporate, the, the working me, okay? I cleaned up well, eh? So and now that is the last 10, 15 years working your way up a corporate ladder and again, guess what? The identity struggle and the who am I questions don't stop. They actually speak louder. And I think in the workplace, if you're heading into it, if you're in the middle of it, if you're heading out of it, it's very much a space where you spend eight hours of your day, more at times, and everything you do is building around an identity. And for me in particular, all that stuff, all that baggage from my past, pleasing people, saying yes to people, trying to have people come back to me and say, oh, well done. Or if I was leading people and, and, and teams were reporting to me, I'd want them to say, you're the best manager ever. And all these different things would help build up this picture of who I am. But again, it didn't satisfy. But 
I continually strived and gave everything. And there's nothing wrong with that. But my heart was in a space of trying to find my identity in work and also in the stuff that work brings. So back to that William James's quote, the yachts and the bank accounts and all of this. If I'm really honest with myself, it, it's linked to a lot of that stuff. And I think God wants something different for us. So I ended up about two years ago in a space where, I think in a space of about six months, I had two burnouts, like serious burnouts. And I was driving home and Jen was with me, my wife, and she said to me, she said, you know what, maybe God's trying to teach you something. So I said, what? And she just said, out of the blue. She said, well, maybe he's just trying to teach you that your identity shouldn't be in work, it needs to be in him. And it hit me. And I said, okay, maybe, maybe there's something here. Last year in February, beginning of, well, actually in January last year, a year ago, I'd just been promoted into a new company, chief operations officer, top of the world, had that status, which was going to be this big who am I moment. Three months later, the whole management team got retrenched. In the beginning of last year, unemployed, a baby on the way, and God did something real in my heart to say, actually, let me take away the stuff of who you are. Who are you now? And it's only when the stuff gets removed, and I'm not just talking about work. Some of you, your who am I may be your kids. It may be relationships. It may be something else, and God is a jealous God, and he wants your who am I to be based solely on him. And it's a great lesson, and I'm working that journey to really firmly just base it on him. And tonight is really just about how do we do that as a church? How do we do that as a church of God to follow in after who he says we are and what he's designed us to be? So tonight I've really just got four points that I want to just touch on about this who am I. But firstly, if you feel that this doesn't hit you because maybe you're not in the workplace or maybe there's something, well, the next question will sound very familiar. You meet somebody new, what's the first thing that they say? So uh, what do you do? Okay, And it's one of those questions that's so awkward because it's kind of like, um, I'm a student or I'm, a, what are you studying? And everything ends up around this game of trying to actually show something and create conversation around something that trying to just creates a picture of who you are somehow. And it makes you feel uneasy at times. Sometimes it might make you feel arrogant. Sometimes you love the moment because you can tell people the story. But so what do you do? And all of us have an answer to this. It might not be full-time work. Maybe it's a relational part that you do. What do you do? And keep that in mind as we go through the four key areas. So first point just to get it out of the way, is that God calls us to work. He does call us to do, you know? So there's nothing wrong with the what do you do because God calls us to it. He wants us to work. He doesn't want us just to sit and say, actually, work isn't good. No, it is good. So a couple of scriptures with that, and some people might say, okay, work is a curse because in Genesis, Adam falls, and it talks about labor after he has fallen, and but actually, even before that, just as God created Adam, in Genesis 2.15, on the next slide, it says, The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Our core design was to work. It might be in different ways and in different spaces, but God calls us to work and to do. So it's a godly thing, and he's behind it. Secondly, Psalm 90, verses 17 May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. He even repeats it there. So it's not just that God calls us to work. He also establishes what we do. 
We start doing stuff, but he builds it. He's the builder of it. We're the doers. So he plays an integral, like a very intricate part in our lives in what we do. So we've got that. He calls us to work. Work is good. However, point two, our identity at work is not shaped by what we do. It is shaped rather by how we do it. So again, back to that lovely piece, that lovely question, so what do you do? It's funny, even how scripture, Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do. Imagine that question, so what do you do? Whatever you do, it doesn't so much matter to God what you do, but whatever you do, do it with all of your heart. Whether you are working in a massive corporate, leading teams of hundreds, or whether you're working by yourself, trying to make ends meet in whatever way possible, do it with all of your heart. That what, that's what is important to God, and that's what he calls us to. And our identity comes from how we do things, not what we do. So, Nehemiah 4.6, it says, For the people worked with all of their heart. And 2 Chronicles 15.7, But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. God calls us to be hard workers. God calls, in terms of the how we work, he really sets the standard in terms of saying that our work should be above bar of anybody else. So he calls us to work, and he says that we must do it with all of our hearts. One of the biggest challenges in the workplace today is called presenteeism, worse than absenteeism. You're at work, but you're not there. And you're paying people salaries, and they're just there, but they're not actually producing. Huge problem. God calls us to work with all of our hearts. So as we kick off our work in whatever it is this year, let it be not giving up. Let it be putting in everything we can and let it be with all of our hearts. Secondly, oh, sorry, one more. Ephesians 6 unpacks this a little bit. It gives you nice tips from either a staff member or back then a slave or a master, maybe a manager, and you're working with people. It says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart. There's again the heart. Just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes on you, but as slaves of Christ, do the will of God from your heart. And masters, verse 9 says, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So God's quite clear that actually... If you're working for a boss, even if you struggle with this person and you're going back at work this year and you think, Lord, I cannot stand this oak, God calls you to respect. God calls you to serve him as if you're serving Christ. And secondly, if you are that master, God says, guess what? I'm your master and I'm their master, so you best know who's actually the master. Yeah, God really raises a standard of how we work. And that's one thing we have to keep in mind. Number three. Our identity at work is not shaped by what we do, but rather who we do it for. So not just how we do it, but now who do we actually do it for? Colossians 3.23, I read the scripture, but now scripture goes on. And it says again, whatever you do, work it with all your heart as if you're working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will, will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Complete mindset shift. Actually, Monday morning, I'm out there, I'm heading to the same, might be the same mediocre, mundane, but God's called me on a Monday morning to serve him just as much as I serve him on a Sunday, in whatever I do. 
Proverbs 16.3, commit to the Lord whatever you do again, and he will establish your plans. And some of you might be saying that whatever I do is killing me now. Well, keep doing it with all of your heart and commit it to God, and he will establish the future. He will establish the plans, but remain faithful in what you do. Ephesians 6, back to this great chapter in Ephesians 6, it really speaks a lot to it. It goes into this part again about who you're doing it for. It says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So really, it's all about doing it for him. And God is all about where our hearts are sitting and how we shift this up for him. Lastly, number four. So let me just recap. Number one, God calls us to work. Number two, God says our identity isn't from what we do, but rather how we do it. Number three, it's not from what we do, but it's from who we're doing it for. And number four, our identity at work is not shaped by the results of what we do, but rather who God is. So the results of what we do, back to that William James definition, identity is the result of all the stuff that people have and, and, and it's linked to stuff. It's not linked to that. It's linked to who God is. Let's unpack this just a little bit. So 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says it quite clearly. It says, When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Okay, and how often do we sit there and we're comparing the cabbie with the cabbie next to you at the robot or whatever it is. When they do this, God is saying, hey, it's not wise. It's foolish. <laughs> we we want to step away from that. So what do we do? So, the next slide. So back in Ephesians, so just briefly on this, and then, and then I want to land with a different piece of scripture. This chapter in Ephesians, where I was talking about slaves and masters and how you do things, and all of that, this all builds up and culminates to a piece of scripture that people are often aware of. The scripture that says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when, you stand, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after all you have done, to stand, stand. And then it goes into what this armor is. But this armor process, we often think, well, what is this armor of God, and what is all of this? But it follows on a piece of scripture all about work. And a lot of Ephesians is about identity and about who we are. And I'm not going to go into depth within the scripture, but I want you to go home and I want you to understand the armor of God and apply it to who you are within the workplace. I think it's critical. But the key thing I want to do, do want to touch on is that it's talking about firstly standing firm. And the first three things it says that you must put on is critical. And it's a cue for what God wants for us in the workplace. Firstly, the belt of truth buckled around your waist, then the breastplate of righteousness set in place, and then lastly, your feet filled with the readiness that comes to sharing the gospel. So those key three things, and I think in that order is true, because when it comes to identity and we step into walk, first thing that we fall short of is the lies about who we are. We go in there feeling like, I don't know if I'm good enough for this job, or I'm trying to be somebody else, or I'm trying to fit something else, and and God's saying, no, when you wake up and you head off to work, the first thing, who's the truth of who you are? And back to Jesus' time is the truth of who you are can only come from our Father. And we need to step into the workplace knowing the truth. And this truth is unpacked here. And God wants to grow you in that this year, the truth of who you are. 
The second part is the breastplate of righteousness. The fact that actually, for whatever job you're going into, you're not good enough. <laughs> Only because of Jesus are you good enough. And Jesus has made you righteous and ready and qualified to be able to give even greater than what you've got because of him. It's nothing about who we are anyway. It's about who he is. And he wants to equip us with that so that we can go in there confidently and say, actually, this is who I am. Because of the righteousness he gives us. No shame and freedom. Then the last part is actually our work is about stepping in with the gospel. It's about stepping into the workplace with shoes heading into a space, walking into a space, ready to share the freedom of the gospel with others. And I want you to go home and I want you to read different parts of this because it's a key part just to remind you of identity and I trust that God will start speaking to you about who you are within that. I went then, and a part of the, the closing scripture is I went to, it was right about the time of this burning out <laughs> and I was on a week and a half away at this one work event and I saw my boss, who and my boss at the time was a Christian guy. And he said to me, he says, what's going on? Are you looking a bit drained? So I said, no, no, all good, all good. But I'm just holding on to this piece of scripture, I said to him. I'm holding on to this scripture because at the moment it feels like life's going everywhere. And the scripture was the following one in Psalm 40. And I was holding on to the scripture that says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and, I, and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. I felt, and you might feel this in whatever area of work you might be at nowadays, or wherever you are in life's journey in some way, that things aren't stable. Things are always shifting. It feels like you're constantly trying to reach, but you're not reaching. Well, then the economy goes down. Well, then you shift a job. Well, then this happens. Then this bill arrives. And you're constantly in the space where it feels like the ground beneath you is moving and you're drowning. And I said to my boss at the time, I said, yes, I'm just praying for God to put my feet on a solid job, on a solid place that is actually going to be the career thing that actually this is it and now I feel, I feel like things are structured. And I was praying for that. And he looks at me funny, he shakes his head, he says, buddy, you've got it all wrong. So that no career, no job, no work is going to be that firm place to stand. That firm place to stand is God. The work is the slimy pit. <laughs> Life is the slimy pit. It's constantly shifting. There's always these challenges. And God's saying, actually, I want to take you out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, set your foot upon a rock, give you a firm place to stand, and that place is on me and on who I am. That's the only firm place that there is. And from that, you can never get anything that shifts because he's firm and he's strong. So this scripture, Psalm 40, verses 1 to 2, I just want to briefly read it. And it just says so much. It says there, I'm going to read that first part again. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to, sp to speak and tell of your deeds, there would be too many to declare. 
I believe that this piece of scripture, God is unpacking a bit of a journey he wants to take with us. And work is a part of that journey. And the first part with the waiting patiently for the, God, for the Lord and him hearing our cry, that waiting patiently, it's not waiting and sitting and doing nothing. It's trusting in the Lord. Trusting patiently in the Lord. And whatever you have in your hands now, working at it with all your heart and with all of your effort, trusting patiently for what he's going to do in his time. Okay? And at that time, he will lift you up as you continually seek him. And you will set yourself rooted in who he is. And then you will stand firm. And back to the Ephesians, it says, do everything to stand and stand firm because God's calling us to stand firm in the identity he wants us to live in not in something that we're trying to pull from the world. And the crazy, or most amazing thing is that once I find this firm place to stand, stuff starts happening. Firstly, he gives me a new song. Firstly, he puts something inside of me that I've never had before that is full of joy, that is full of something that's going to change the world. And this new song allows other people to start putting their trust in him. God wants us to stand with him and he wants us to enter into whatever we do in our work, in our places, in the roles that we play with this new song because people are going to turn and they're going to see something different. They're going to see Jesus. They're going to see something of the life of God. But it starts with being on this firm place in him um, where he wants to rescue us too. And then after that, it talks about blessed are you and it warns again, don't look at the other people again. Don't go back to that space of trying to base who you are on them. Stay firm on who I am. And lastly, many other wonders. God wants to take us into a space which is this pathway that once we're there and the new song is there and we're living this out and we're firmly rooted in Him, guess what? The wonders that we're going to see God do in our lives, in our workplace, in where we are, is going to be huge. And you're going to see people's lives changed. But it starts with a shift in who we are. And us waiting patiently and putting everything into now, asking God to show us and to rescue us into that. So, God wants us to trust in Him. That's the key thing. God wants us to position our identity in Him, the rock, the only steady ground where we can stand firm. God wants to give us a new song, a new identity to proclaim at work, something new, something fresh, something of Him. And He wants His image and His work to, displayed for, to be displayed for all to see his glory. So tonight, as I close, a couple of questions. Maybe you're in different spaces, and again, I understand that some of you might not even be working, but whatever it is that you do, where are you sitting at the moment? So the first question is that, is your trust in God fully, or is it in man? Are you trying to find a sense of who you are and your worth fully in God, or are you still trying to find it in people? Are you working at a standard that is aligned to working for the Lord? Let's be honest with ourselves. It's a new year. You know, maybe we have been slack. Maybe the standard hasn't been up yet and we've been shrugging our feet to work. God calls us to a higher level because he wants it to do with all of our heart and all of our effort. Do you feel as if you are in a slimy pit at the moment? Or that do you feel like you're standing on steady ground, completely on a firmer place with God? And lastly, are you, we- are you really wearing the identity of God at your workplace? Or are you getting there and you become somebody else, just like the other, all the other guys there or the girls there? Should we pray? Thank you. 
So Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Jesus, for setting a bit of the design up front when you asked, who, who am I? And how you said that it cannot come from man. Who we are can only come from the Father in heaven. It can only come from a God who said to Moses, when you ask them who I am, just say, I am. A God who is I am will show us these things. And Father God, I just bring together everybody who is here this evening, Lord God, as we kick off this year. And Father, if there's anybody here, let them not walk out today without making a shift closer toward this journey that you want to take them on, Lord God. Lord, if there are people here who, if it's you who's sitting here and and, and you're battling to trust God and you keep on reverting to trusting man and trusting your bank balance and trusting everything else, but God isn't at the forefront of that trust, I want to encourage you to stand up and make a declaration tonight to God to say, I want to trust fully in you. Help me to let go of these false trusts because actually they're just not helping me at all. Help me, Jesus. Just to get up to your feet and we'd love to, to pray. And if there's people tonight that are sitting in that space where actually you look back at last year and you realize, Lord God, you raised the bar higher. I haven't really been working as if I've been working for you. I haven't been working with all of my heart and all of my soul in the workplace and you're calling me to something greater. And I want to commit to to really, really doing it as if I'm doing it for you, Lord God. Just to stand to your feet. And some people, you may be stuck. You may be stuck in the slimy pit. You might feel like everything is really just falling apart. And you've tried everything to get it right out of your own strength. And I believe that tonight, God wants to start a journey of reaching down, pulling you out of that pit, out of that clay that feels like sinking sand. Because he wants to put your identity and who you are in a firm place in him. Thank you. So Father God, I pray, Father, that everybody standing, Jesus, that you start a work in their lives. As you said, Jesus, that God will begin to speak into each and every person's life and will start with the truth of who they are. I pray, Lord, for a hunger for your word, a hunger for the first mirror that we put up in the morning is the word of God and the truth that you bring about who we are, Father God. And as you do this, Lord God, you will transform us and you will set us on firm, solid, a solid rock, which is you in everything, Father God. Lord, I pray for an increase in passion at work, Father God. Lord, an increase in how we work and what we put forward within the workplace, Jesus, that the whole bar gets raised and people look at us as Christians, Father God, and and just think, wow, this is incredible. It's a whole different standard, Lord God. And Lord, I pray that this year, the biggest thing for this year is that we begin to understand who we are in you completely, Lord God. And in our families and in our work and in every single part, Father God, we step into that and people can see the image of God in everything that we are and everything that we do, Father God. Let us no longer try and base it on other stuff, but let us begin to just base it on you solely. Take us on this journey, Lord, and speak to us, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen.